Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. Welcome to Rabble Rants. I'm Santiago Helo Quintero, and alongside Jesse McLean, we're going to unpack the stories that have us most riled up and challenge the narratives around them. I am an active duty member of the United States Air Force, and I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal. I hate that last line. It hits too hard. Because I'm not sure if he meant the genocide in Gaza or the extreme lengths people are having to go through. I'll be honest, I'm kind of struggling on how to best process and address the death of Aaron Bushnell. For those completely unaware, Aaron is the Air Force service person who lit themselves on fire outside of the Israeli consulate. He live-streamed what he did because the last person who did this, we still don't even know their name. On December 1st, 2023, a woman outside the Atlanta, Georgia, Israeli consulate also set themselves on fire. We're not even sure if they survived or not. And that has to be the most heartbreaking outcome of it all. We surely can't let that happen this time. For a pair of people who spend the bulk of their time encouraging people to protest, to push back, to do everything within their means for change, and who express such urgency, this really was a heavy weight. And there was real obligation, I think, for us to talk about it. I let it be known I wasn't okay, and Santiago called me. And I think my greatest fear at that point was that there were a lot of people out there feeling like Aaron, feeling really desperate and not knowing what else they could possibly do to get people to listen, to get the people in power to do what we need them to do. And it's such desperate times. So it's a careful balance here, this discussion on both honoring Aaron's sacrifice and finding hope in perhaps tactics that allow you all to keep on fighting. I don't like talking about this. It's uncomfortable. But I felt like it was important to talk about it because to a certain extent, you know, I, I, I get it. I I can relate to the sentiment. And that maybe scares me a bit. You know, the I, I think one thing that I'm still trying to figure out how to do constantly is... How to live in this world, trying to fight for things to be better without getting overpowered by despair and hopelessness. It's a constant struggle. And I think my answer, for a large part, has been community. You can hear. You can hear us both struggling to process this. but And we took some time to process it, but I'll admit I've leaned on some of the work of other people 
who've written some pieces. I will, of course, link that. There's a piece by the Anarchist Network, Crime Think, and near the end, they speak to their audience. And I feel as though this message rang true for both Santiago and I. And so this is for you folks as well. If your heart is broken by the horrors in Gaza and you are prepared to bear significant consequences to try to stop them, we urge you to do everything in your power to find comrades and make plans collectively. Lay the foundations for a full life of resistance to colonialism and all forms of oppression. Prepare to take risks as your conscious demands but don't hurry towards self-destruction. We desperately need you alive at our side for all that is to come. But I think while we say that, it's important to acknowledge the point to which Aaron and other people get to where conventional and unconventional means, persistence, numbers the best organizing possible is really not moving things fast enough. And these are not situations that can be losses. Right now we're talking about impending genocide in Gaza, but the act of self-emoliation has history in desperate moments of resistance when like many, 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 many lives are on the line. Imminent continued like suffering and war you know that people just Vietnam comes to mind there's an article by Common Dreams and it talks of quite a few cases of this form of extreme protest that happened in the United States and one in particular ended up in the memoirs of the then Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara one gentleman 31 years old Norman Morrison he lit himself on fire just outside the window of McNamara's office. And in his memoir, he speaks of the tension that that caused within him as a human being. As human being still responsible for the death of millions of people, but it also caused tension within his family and then within the home front, the public opinion. So I think it's important for folks who survive this. Aaron can't do any work anymore. And you can sit there and question the efficacy of that sacrifice. That's your right to do that. But I think any time you spend doing that is far better spent trying to fill the void in which Aaron has left with intense advocacy and resistance and to give meaning to his death. Because how heartbreaking would it be for someone close to you to make that level of sacrifice thinking they were so powerful, that that, that act was so powerful, that it could change something and it, it never did. I think that would be the worst case scenario. And so that's on us, right? Like that's not, that that is yet to be determined. I think a lot of people will try to paint that frame of mind and that extreme length to mental health. And I want to talk about that for a minute because surely at this point with the conditions that we were already experiencing before having to watch 160 days of the most brutal genocide and to resist the entire time without much change that is trauma it's a and it, and we are experiencing a collective trauma at the moment and i believe anybody that is not struggling with anxiety or with depression or sleeplessness 
has perhaps been able to compartmentalize themselves a little too much. If you haven't opened your heart up and been vulnerable in these times, even if you are not experiencing the extreme conditions of depravity that exist, you can see them. And these times are not okay. And of course, the people living in them are not going to be okay. And it's okay to not be okay. That's such a cheesy line. But at this at this time, like you can't sit and be questioning your own strength or resolve if you're just breaking down in tears. If you can't have a normal day after witnessing some of the things that we've witnessed. But also to build on that, um, I think it's important to mention you know, empathic strain is a real thing. It often brings with it a sense of guilt. So empathic strain is, well, I mean, it's kind of, it, it's, it's in a name. Yeah, it's a, a certain numbness that comes from overexposure to difficult situations, uh, witnessing other people's pain and suffering for prolonged periods of time. It's something that, for example, is very common amongst healthcare workers. It's a type of burnout and... You know, I, I definitely relate in, in, in some ways, like I, I where there's a certain guilt where maybe you feel like something should be affecting you more than it does because you're so exhausted. Because the human brain is incredibly good at adapting to horrible, horrible things. You talk to anybody who's ever lived in a war zone, they talk about it's only after that they realize like how messed up so many of the aspects of their life were that felt normal. Like, it's also okay to ha- to experience it. It's okay to, to also have to protect yourself. I think th- th- there's not a lot of purpose in forcing ourselves to suffer, but I think it's important to be empathetic and compassionate. And those are not the same thing. It's important to do what we can, but to also recognize a need to protect ourselves and protect others around us. Because, you know, we, we can't, like, we have to keep living. That That's part of what it is. And living doesn't mean ignoring Living doesn't mean acting as if nothing's happening. But living is, in its own way, a revolutionary act. Like, being conscious of everything that's wrong in the world, not accepting it for what it is, living and trying to build something better. Because I think that's that's what it comes down to, what I mean by living is, you know, building. Life is, life is change and growth and experience and... It's necessary for us to to root what we do in that because it's what we're fighting for. It, we're fighting so that people can live good lives. And the the quote that just read a bit earlier that's I, it spoke to me in that way where it's like finding people, building something, trying to create change in the ways that we can affect. It's incredibly important, and it helps us be able to face all the horrible things that that we see constantly. Obviously, building community is easier said than done. I think sometimes, particularly the isolation that we're going through as a result of COVID and all of the other things that that press on us every day. But really, it starts with just one person, one support, and you build from there. We really need to start connecting with the comrades that we have on more meaningful levels so that we can start to feel our impact a little bit more. And plus, it's always nice to have folks to lean on at the same time. But when we do all this organizing and everyone does what's in their capacity, still, we've talked about this before, still you're left with this feeling that 
it's not enough. I had a lot of the things that we are fighting for, we've not seen the needle move. But I think when you talk about Palestine, that's when you can really draw hope because we have seen the narrative shift. And I know that it doesn't seem fast enough for the people in Gaza. And that is definitely arguable. But there's no arguing against the fact that what people are doing is working bit by bit. Every single conversation, every single rally, every single news item that challenges it, like it it is, there are gains from it. And when you're just one person, maybe with like a niche task, and very limited reach, it is so easy to think that you really don't have a bigger impact. Like you might look to the movement leaders and, and, you know, higher figures or other personalities and think, you know, you must not be doing enough because Anna Lippman, you know, she's flying over to the West Bank. But the work that you do sometimes is so immeasurable, just like the loss of Aaron Bushnell is also immeasurable, right? Whenever someone leaves us, it's impossible to actually measure what that loss is to our movements. But it's also impossible for you to measure your impact. And you have to be okay with that. Right? This isn't like work where you might get earn more money or, you know, other really kind of other tasks where success might be more easily defined or visible. Because I struggle with this of feeling completely ineffective in a bubble, screaming and no one can hear you. <laughs> but people do hear you. And the analogy that was used to help me focus there was of seeds. So if you've ever planted a garden and you use seeds, you plant more seeds than you expect that will grow. You, you inherently know that they won't all bloom, but some of them will. And so as you go through your life, imagine you're not cultivating a garden that's right next to you that you tend yourself, but it's you are dropping seeds as you go. And in every interaction that you have with every human being, you have the potential to drop seeds there, but you keep moving. You don't know. You don't know what grows from those seeds, but you have to inherently know that some of them will sprout, will grow their own fruit and spread their own seeds. You can't do that if you're not here. You you can't drop any more seeds. That's it. So that may not feel fruitful, but it's just something you have to know that is true and that you have to know that sometimes the victories that we're looking for, they may not come in our lifetime. And that's hard. Sometimes that's hard to swallow. Like some days you can say it and it's like, that's right. I just got a duty. I just got to maintain that fire at the very least, right? So the fire just like at least doesn't go out. Mm -hmm. Eventually it'll catch. But my job is to maintain that fire. But sometimes that's a really lonely task. Or I think we're we're sometimes easier motivated when we can see the, the finish line. And so there's... There's a mentality that we have to maintain knowing that that finish line probably will keep moving for us. Um, but we can't we can't let that leave us in despair. Something that is not necessarily intuitive in the kind of culture that we live in. Right. Because we're used to growing up, going to school, you have semesters and you have grades and you get, this is how you did here. This is how you did there. You know, in the finance world, they have quarters and shit. There's constant opportunities to kind of get a sense of where you're at. And so we kind of get used to that being how we look at the world. When that's not how this works. It's And the butterfly effect of things is so difficult to understand. And it back to the whole human brains adapting to things. The more you do, the more you feel like you need to do. 
you know i've never once been at a level where it feels like i'm 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 doing enough and and it takes purposeful reflection i was talking to a friend yesterday who's kind of going through a rough time and we we're talking about how easy it is to to give up and do nothing right to just let everything let life wash over you let time wash over you and just let go and how when you look at things through like the nihilistic lens of things it's in a way it's okay but how in the, it doesn't feel better it doesn't by the same argument why not live because it feels better to try to do the little things in your day that just that you don't have to do that it you know you'll survive without but that remind you that you're alive and how over time it becomes a little bit easier to try and it's something that i definitely you know like i relate to i've been done in the pit and you know just taking things day by day until eventually it becomes a little bit easier and it doesn't feel true at the time that it will ever be easier but it does get easier and i think it's something that especially you know in spaces like ours where mental health is often a very real challenge that we all face at at some time or another it's it's important to look out for each other it's important to support our community and it's important to keep in mind the butterfly effect of it right because we will never understand just how important the little things are, but they're more important than you can possibly imagine. I want to go back to Aaron. It's not to like prioritize his death or anything over the almost 30,000 now Palestinian deaths that he is trying to address. But I hinted at this before. A lot of people are painting him as crazed or using it as evidence that the left is just rife with mental health struggles. If anybody's watched it, he speaks with such clarity. But besides from that day, he's been described by people who knew him as a force of joy in their community. There was a post um, that referred to him as an amazing, gentle, kind, compassionate person who spends every minute and every penny he has helping others. He is silly, makes everyone laugh, and wouldn't hurt a fly. He is a principled anarchist who lives out his values in everything he does. Folks might hear that and hear that he was, you know, four years in the Air Force as a little contradictory. But putting that all aside, he was very clear in his goals. And he does seem like very principled. It seemed, although extreme... He made it rationally. And I think it's important to note that not just because, you know, I'm trying to defend him personally. Mental health struggle is not anything uh, that we should build stigma around, whether he was or wasn't. I think it's just to drive home the point that in these times with this level of shutout of the public, screaming in masses, disrupting, doing everything possible and being shut out and feeling no impact. This is where rational people will land. So our movements need to address it. This must weigh on the minds of politicians at some level. Perhaps they're able to remove themselves, I don't know. But that is where they they should feel great shame in the fact that they have not listened to the populace and the populace has gotten to this point and have before. It, you know, this is This is what happens 
In fact, the Arab Spring, it was often the the death of Mohammed Wazizi, who lit himself on fire in response to having his cart stolen by a police officer and had spent all his money trying to bribe the cops to even keep the cart open. It was just a real act of injustice. And it was that fight against the ruling class with the only thing that they had left. He had given everything else. Resonating with that desperation without mimicking the act is okay. We cannot have other comrades repeating this. We have to give enough weight to Aaron's death that no one has to follow after him, including the people trapped in Rafa. We have to find ways to fight that, that strive to like match that spirit of self-sacrifice without having to leave our comrades behind to fight without us. 